Well, good evening. How's everybody? Good. Do you like the warm weather today? Nose? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, we uh, we are so excited for this evening and to have uh, Brother Jim Hockaday back with us. Uh, he's been. <laughs> That was awesome, and uh, we had like a little train go through, just not a big one, just a little one. <laughs> so we've been eating it up, and uh, it's so nice to uh, just move into more and more fellowship with our loving Father, our wonderful Savior, and uh, Jim bringing us closer and closer to Jesus just by opening up our hearts and opening up our minds. And I told the story last night of how we met, and uh, I'll just say that it was the Lord. The Lord, you know, basically opened up the door so that we could meet, so that he could come here. And, and I can tell you this, it's helping me as a pastor, you know, helping to lead a group of people in a direction. We've got to go in a godly direction. That means that that minds and hearts have to be changed. And the biggest testimony we had, even besides the miracles, even beside you know, all the stuff that happened last year, the biggest testimony that we had was people's minds and hearts started heading in a new direction towards more and more connection with God. And that's what we need to do on a regular basis. So I know today, and I'll ask you this, uh, Today I was just sitting uh, with a friend and, and this came up to me. Which one are you? I want change or I want to change? And which one is you? You want change or you want to change? And it's a good question for you to think about and definitely going into this evening. And uh, I don't want to waste any time. I just want to hand it right off and let you have all the time you can have. So you ready? All right, tag, you're it. Testing, check, check, check. All right, well, we got a lively bunch tonight. That's yeah. good. Amen? So, uh, praise the Lord, that's good. <laughs> Trust you had a good, uh, good afternoon and a good day, and we're going to have a good time tonight. I really believe that, and I'd, I wish you'd just uh, gather with me on, as we pray, and let's just trust this time to the Lord. Um, you know, as we saw last night, uh, the Lord had me just to kind of hit on a lot of different things and yet kind of pull it back into a central thought that we had. And um, when it gets like that, uh, I believe it's like that so that every person here gets what they need. Instead of just a canned message, every individual gets something that is tailor-made to them. So let's believe for that again. That's, that's the way I like it. So uh, there's something that you take home that means something to you that changes your life. Amen? Amen. All right. So Father, we thank you. We've already been praying and worshiping you, but we do again, Lord, just honor you, acknowledge you, and thank you for being here, that your presence is with us. We certainly do lift up the wonderful name of Jesus and what he did for us. Father, we're not ashamed to say that the finished work of Jesus Christ was the end of who we are and the beginning of who we now are in Christ. We thank you for all sins being removed, and we thank you tonight, Lord God, that there's nothing standing between us and the grace of Jesus Christ, the work of the Holy Spirit. And so we, we take great pleasure, Lord, in knowing that physical bodies are healed and healthy, minds are, are being challenged and renewed, and Lord, our heart connection is being increased and experienced. And for that, Lord, we give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you can take your Bibles, go over to 2 Corinthians in chapter 15, 
and we'll look at that in the Amplified. And just for a couple of minutes, I'll go ahead and just review a couple thoughts here based on what we've been talking about. And uh, I'm going to go as a review. You don't have to turn there with me, but over to Matthew in chapter 3, verse 15. And uh, this is where Jesus replied to John the Baptist, because you know, John, when Jesus came saying, you need to baptize me, John said, well, I'm not even worthy to loose your shoes. Untie your shoes. And Jesus said, no, you need, you need to do this, John. And he said, permit it just now, for this is the fitting way for both of us to fulfill all righteousness. And in the Amplified, it says, that is to perform completely whatever is right. <clears throat> and if you think about it, Jesus' whole life in ministry, pretty much, I use the word typify, you know, exemplified, however you want to say it, it was a demonstration of showing everything that was right. In other words, he'd walk into a situation that was wrong and Jesus would make it right. The anointing that was upon him was the anointing to make things right that were wrong. Now, what Jesus did is he committed himself 100% to righteousness. Now, let me ask you a question. This isn't a loaded question by any means. Was Jesus righteous when he came? not a loaded question. You're thinking too hard. Yes, thank you. Very simple. Was Adam righteous when God made him? Did his choice make him unrighteous? Yes. Did Jesus sin? No. So was he righteous? Yes. But isn't it interesting, his commitment wasn't to say, I am righteous. His commitment was to do righteousness. To change things that were wrong into things that were right. Now there's a reason why we talk like this because you can't just sit back on your laurels and just confess that you're the righteousness of God in Christ and see the grace of God everywhere. You have to act. It's a good thing it wasn't open. You have to activate that by demonstrations, by boldness. By the audacity not only to believe that you are righteous, but the willingness to step beyond yourself to experience that righteousness. To bring, bring change in your life where there's wrong. To be a vessel where right can come. See, God wants to use us. God wants to work for us. God wants to flow through your life. He's wanted to do so much. I mean, you know, if there's anybody that should be frustrated, it should be God. But thank God he's long-suffering toward us. Amen. He believes about us. But he wants to pour himself out upon our lives. You know, you take a little scripture, and we won't necessarily preach on this tonight. Maybe we'll touch on it tomorrow. But you take a little scripture like what I learned when I was just a four and five-year-old little boy. Trust in the Lord. <clears throat> excuse me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. Which is just a real simple thought. You can't trust, the, trust God with your mind. Because your mind can be fickle, it can run a hundred different routes on you and convince you definitely not to trust God. Isn't that right? That's what's called an unrenewed mind, which means a renewed mind thinks like your spirit already knows it to be so. A renewed mind thinks like God. You know, years ago we had little bracelets that people wore that said WWJD. Remember that? What would Jesus do? Well, see, that's actually a real good thing. It shouldn't have gone away. We should, we should still have them today. Why? Because it's a real wonderful thing for you to do in every situation of life, all day long to continue to think, what would Jesus do? In other words, because I'm a spirit connected to God, 
how would I respond? Because flesh responds one way, and that's the unrenewed mind. But spirit responds another way, and that's the renewed mind. Amen? Amen. Well, this is something Jesus did all the time. He kept his mind renewed to the thoughts, to the actions of God his Father. And all of it was so that he could fulfill all righteousness. <laughs> so when you see this work here in John the Baptist, when John baptized him, of course we know what happened, verse 16 says, and when Jesus was baptized, he went up at once out of the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he, John, saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him, or alighting on him. First thing that happens when you make a consecration, a dedication, when you make a commitment unto all righteousness is, is the grace of God becomes available to you. Grace of God, you could say the work of the Holy Spirit, however you want to say it. God gets involved when you make those kind of commitments, which means what? Those are the type of commitments where the line is drawn in the sand and you're not willing to ever be what you used to be again. This is one of the saddest things about modern religion. We are not drilling this home, bringing this home, making this point strong enough in people that you're no longer a flesh being. Which means we've got to start doing our own inward reflection. Start to do our homework inside our own hearts to ask ourselves the question. On a regular basis throughout the course of a day, where is our time and our energy and our affections, emotions, and feelings going? If it would be easier to say, only once in a while do I have thoughts, feelings, emotions toward God. If that would be easier to say, then what are you saying? Most of my feelings, most of my thoughts, most of my energy and my time is toward the world and toward what my flesh is involved with. Well, then how easy are you going to be acclimated to what is called the spirit world? You're very quiet with me right now. But if you think, think about this from another perspective. When we either die or when we're caught up in the clouds to be with the Lord forever and thus shall we ever be with the Lord, the scriptures that reveal that there will be a rapture. Some of you may agree with that, may not, but let's just not argue about that. If you're saved and you have to go through the, the, the uh, tribulation, then die in the middle of it, uh, get raptured, or go all the way to the end and get raptured. Whatever way you want to go, I believe there's a rapture. But I'm not going to argue with you. And I say that because people will literally pick out something ridiculous and sit there and argue with you when the point has nothing to do with that. You just mentioned it. So I'm stopping anybody from coming up to say, well, my idea of the rapture, I really don't care what your idea is. Because <laughs> it does, doesn't matter one lick about what I believe right here, right now, and how God will affect my life today and tomorrow and my relationship. Okay? My point was to say, when you get there, when you are in heaven, What's the reason why spiritual things will be so real? Well, because you won't be what? You won't be hindered by the flesh and the day-to-day -day activities of the world gone south, gone wrong. If the world wasn't wrong, if it hadn't been south, for instance, if you were living out in the woods somewhere, there wouldn't be a lot to cause you to have what? All the temptations and distractions that cause us to have God become so difficult to find. 
So when you're in heaven, one of the greatest things that makes spiritual things real is you don't have the distractions. There's nothing pulling at you to keep you from being what? Very conscious of spirit because you're there. You're in spirit. Now, if you just relate that to what about right now? Well, that's the reason why we're renewing our minds. We're wanting to make the kind of consecration and commitments like Jesus did so that spiritual things can become very normal to us. Right now, for most people, spiritual things are called supernatural or miraculous. And that's very wrong. Those are bad words because they're used in a wrong way. They're used to, to explain something that's unexplainable. They're used to, to get somebody to dream of something that most people never have. But spiritual things, that's who you are. And we should be experiencing the person that we are on a regular basis. See, when it comes to just normal things, we don't even think twice about the fact, like I said last night, you know, if you were a cat and your salvation made you a dog, wouldn't you expect to bark? Or would you still meow? Because wouldn't it be strange to meow and have that coming out of a dog? Yeah. I mean, all of us, as far as this world's concerned, we think like that according to what we call earthly things, natural things, or material things. But when you come on over into Christ, people don't get that absolute. We leave ourselves room for failure instead of what? Having a great tenacity to experience success. I'll throw out this little thought to you, and it's a very harsh statement, but I'll say it in a very nice way. <laughs> People are afraid of success, not failure. You've already got your medicine cabinet full for failure's sake. You've already got insurance policies so that you can fail successfully. You've been good at failing. So have I. We've learned how to deal with the hardship. That's what I mean when I say life really is comprised of the good, bad, and ugly. And people will do whatever they have to do to get rid of the ugly, but they actually don't mind a little bit of failure, which is the bad, as long as every once in a while they're encouraged by a little bit of good. But see, your nature in Christ has nothing about it that's failure. This new nature in Christ is 100% success. We've got to get used to being successful, folks, to getting prayers answered all the time to having tremendous and wonderful days. Yeah. Even if there seems to be clouds, we're still seeing the sun. Yeah. We don't have to submit to our surroundings. But we do that when we're not committed. As long as there's no commitment, I'll tell you what, you just fold like a one-egg pie. Anybody know what that means around here in North Carolina? Albemarle? You don't even know what that means? Well, it's, it's not going to... I mean, I'm not too good at bacon, but if you get yourself a one-egg pie... It, it's probably going to go flat before it does anything. That's what that statement means. It's not going to be. It's not going to be what it's supposed to be. People are folding all the time. People cave. They give in. The wheels of their little wagon come off if they're not committed. Swear to your own hurt and change not. What happened to those days? See, those days are gone. Why? Technology has brought us multiple options. And the moment people get the idea that I can have options, then they're not committed to any one. Because as long as option B is actually okay, then I'm going to try op option A, but I can always fall back onto option B. And you know, I've actually learned that I have C, D, E, and F as well. So actually, I'm doing okay. I'm doing fine. 
See, life in America, you've got to be real careful about this. The more t technology comes in, the more it takes away your ability to choose correctly. If life got real difficult and all of the things that we're attached to immediately were just gone, guess what would happen? People would lift up their hands to God and ask for help. Yeah. Guess, guess what it would look like? It would look like a revival game. Yeah. It doesn't mean the Holy Ghost did anything that he's not willing to do right now. It just means that people finally opened up their hearts and their minds to what God wanted to do all along. And you see things happen on a grand scale where there's more people experiencing God than fewer. And it looks like revival. Looks like revival here in Albemarle. People say, my God, boomerang's on fire. And even people drive by and a, and a, and a, and a fire truck may come and say, man, it looked like there were flames on top of the building. What's going on in here? Just because we get enough people opening up their hearts and their lives to the power of the Holy Spirit. It looks like a massive revival. And people say, well, God sent us this revival finally. What you mean he's been withholding it? No, we all finally got out of the way. That's what God's really wanting us to do. Get your big rear end out of the way. I well, didn't go over very well. Probably couldn't have said that in church, but I already did. <laughs> Amen. Because that's really the crux of whether or not you're successful in Christ. Can you get out of the way? Can you remove yourself from being in God's way? He doesn't need your help. He just needs your cooperation. And your cooperation is to actually believe in him a thousand percent. That's what Jesus did when he said unto all righteousness. I got I, I'm just excited about this because the Lord is our prototype. He showed us what it looks like to experience God on a regular basis, hear his voice, walk in his presence, God to be so real. It just takes a thousand percent commitment. It's simple. It's just not easy. How can something be simple? Because it's a choice. How come it's not easy? Because of our patterns and our habits and our routines that are doing nothing more than choosing options constantly, which means we're what? Lukewarm. See, if we heard more messages like this on a regular basis, what would it do? It would cause us to get out or to get in. You'd be okay with losing people? Sure, I'd be okay with losing people. Because then the ones that I actually had would start to experience God. And what would that do? It would put pressure on the people that walked out to realize that if I want to actually be accountable to the Lord and to myself and to my own choices, I can have what they're having. Oh, brother, that, you know, it's like one pastor. I started preaching some of this to him, telling him some of the things that I was sharing. He goes, wow. He said, that's a, that's a little bit harsh. He said, we could lose some people like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's not the goal, but it's bringing people to a choice. Come on, let's go a little further tonight and see some things. This is, this is helping me. I trust that it's helping you as well. When I see what Jesus did, it, it excites me because it causes me to realize I can do the exact same thing. I'm going to read from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. I'm not going to say a lot about it tonight because we said something about it before, but there's a really good thought and point here. In the King James, it says, For the word of God, is alive and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and is the discerner of the intents and thoughts of the heart. Right there, you have a description of Jesus' psyche, of how he lived, his demeanor, his thought processes, and how he saw things. That's, that's an example right there. Jesus was quick, he was alive, he was active, he was powerful, he was sharper than any two-edged sword. He didn't mix words. His words weren't one way today and another way tomorrow. 
his words and his thought process separated exactly what was of the, of the soul and of the flesh and of the spirit. Jesus had a separation. He walked in it at all times. And then notice the last part of what it says. He, he walked in a discernment of his own thoughts and the intents of his own heart. Folks, there's a key right there. If you don't know your own thoughts and your own intent of your own heart and you can't discern it, how in the world can your heart reach out to God's heart? On one of the Wednesday nights, we had a very, very, very quiet moment. And you may have a very quiet moment as I discuss this as well. Because I took that particular thought and asked the people, who are you really? Something I have to ask myself, and I don't always come up with a favorable answer. You say, how come? Because I'm progressing. What do you mean? I'm changing. I'm evolving. I'm becoming more like Christ. And the more that I see Christ, and the more that I experience Christ, the more I realize there's some yucky stuff that still needs to what? Change. Repent. Years and years of religion and tradition that allows you to be the same and get happy about it and go nowhere. Huh? What'd you do today? I sat on the, on the uh, roller coaster ride. Did you, did, you, did you ride it? Well, no, it didn't go anywhere, but I just sat on it. It was wonderful. <laughs> well, how long are you going to do that and keep paying for it? So I have to ask yourself the question, who are you really? What do you mean? Well, it's kind of interesting how people do. What do you mean? We've all done it. So there's no one in here that hasn't. But, you know, people will act a certain way to their spouse. They'll act a certain way to their parents. You know, I mean, how many of you ever had, as parents, this particular testimony that uh, your kids are at someone else's house and those parents come back to you and say, your kids are the most wonderful kids I've ever met in my entire life. I mean, they just were cleaning up after, after we ate and they cleaned up everything and they were so polite and you're thinking, are you talking about my kids? <laughs> Have you ever had that experience? See, we act a certain way with our parents. We might act a certain way with somebody else's parents. People act a certain way on their job to their employer. People act certain ways to relatives. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Come on, talk, tell me about it. There are certain relatives you know, oh, if they're going to be there. Oh, and you act a certain way. It causes you to change the action, how you present yourself. And then the big one, you know where this is going. People really act different when they come to church they're all into oh glory hallelujah and praise the lord well is there any of that that goes on in your life other than church because the person that you really are when you're by yourself is the one who either gets the prayer answered or the one who doesn't get the prayer answered not the person you are at church not the person you are to somebody else's mom or dad. Not the person you are to, to uh, whether you're to a relative or to employer. Just the person you are. The real person you are. And you have to find who that person is. Who am I really? Well, I'm petrified about everything. I'm scared. I'm nervous. I'm full of fear. I don't believe in myself. I'm insecure. I just wish somebody else would help me. Why? Because I can't help myself. I had a lady in, inbox me, and this is what she's talking about. She's saying, well, at one point, God spoke to me, and it was so real, and it was so wonderful. But I can't hear him. I can't find him. I'm all doing all this praying. I'm doing all this fasting. I need your prayer and you to get a word from God from me. You just got through telling me that you heard him. Go hear him again. Maybe you're not desperate enough to hear him.
gets quiet, doesn't it? Because we really enjoy living under the old covenant. The old covenant's all about somebody else getting it for you. People would rather have somebody else get it for you than be able to walk right in there to dad and talk to him and sit down and say, man, this is awesome that I get to hang out with you. I mean, the old covenant, they couldn't do this. Unless you were a priest, and even then, you know, they had to do everything right or they'd die. I mean, I'm not doing hardly anything right, but I get to hang out with you. Isn't this cool? Instead of that, they'd rather stay over here and let somebody walk in with a, with a, a laver going back and forth, you know, waving an offering and taking the blood of a lamb and going in there for them. They'd rather do that than go in themselves. Why? Accountability and responsibility. Which says what? People don't believe in themselves. And if you don't believe in yourself, how can you believe in God? Wow, y'all look like I cussed you out or something. Has everybody did okay? These are good thoughts, folks. All these things are good. I really have to redefine to people when I preach anymore because I'm, I, you know, for the last three and a half years, I, ha I don't think I've had one running around the service, around the room service yet. I don't think I had one dancing in the Holy Ghost service in three and a half years. They're just all quiet like this. But I'm having to help people realize that what you're getting even right now, and we're not even into some of our scriptures yet, what you're getting, it's really good. Why is it really good? Because I'm forcing you to change. This is, you know, no one's holding you here. There's exit signs, and I don't want you to leave, but you're free to leave. If you don't like it, you can go, and then just do it the way you like to do it, and have me say something that might sound unkind, but it's still true. How's it working for you? The fact that you're staying means what? I'm hungry to get this. Yeah. I want to change. Yes. I can't get enough of this. Why? Because I see my own imperfections. I see habits and routines that I've developed for years. And the way of thinking doesn't cut it. So I like accountability. I like to hit, have it straight in my face and hear somebody help me or hear my own self speak it. The times I spend with my friend BJ, I love it when he just says it straightforward. No, that's wrong. That's, to that's totally wrong. Why are you caving in? You've got a responsibility to tell the people exactly, exactly what God says. Not, not sugarcoat it. Why are you doing that? You're going to forfeit your right to walk in the grace. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Why do I like that? Because it continues to hold me what? Accountable. And I don't want somebody else to hold me accountable. I want to hold myself accountable. I want to learn to do it. <laughs> I want to learn to do it by myself. Not have to have somebody else do it for me. Anybody still here? Okay. These are real good thoughts. Uh, do you like... That thought there about Jesus being sharper than a two-edged sword. How he always walked separating what was of soul and flesh and, uh, uh, to the spirit. And how he was constantly in tune with the discernment of the thoughts and intents of his own heart. He was always walking in purpose. That's how we can walk. And as we do, what does it do? It brings great connection with God. 
All right. Well, the intent of heart is very simply the manner in which you think, the manner in which you have feelings. And God always wants you to respond from your heart. What are the feelings and the emotions and the thoughts doing on the inside of you? Because those are the thoughts that connect with God. It's the same thing as saying, while I've got golf clubs on my back and I'm leaving the house all excited about playing, love you, hon, see you later. That doesn't go over as well as when there's no golf clubs. I could have gone golfing, but I'm staying home to hang out with my wife and do something really special, just the two of us, and I say, I really love you. That's better. Does anybody think that might work a little better? I found it out to be so. Why? Because she can tell what the intent of my heart is. She can see me getting all excited about going and doing something without her throwing out a little bone. Love you, hon. Versus, I literally cleared my schedule so I can hang with her and I'm all yours. Now I love you. I don't even need to say it because what I'm showing her is the intent of my heart. These are the kind of things that we've got to get good at. See, people spend so much time, I call it wasted time, trying to believe God for a healing, trying to believe God to get out of financial distress, trying to believe God to stop being so depressed and miserable. If you just use your faith on this wonderful relationship they would have with Jesus Christ and develop this wonderful, tangible presence of God everywhere, you wouldn't have to get your body healed because it wouldn't be sick. You wouldn't have to work on your finances because you'd be walking in wisdom. You wouldn't have to spend all kinds of time trying to watch somebody on a comic to make you laugh because you'd be full of joy and have the victory. Come on, in His presence, there's fullness of what? Joy. Ha, you end up being happy because you're connected. Happy because you know Him. And you use your faith to say, my goodness, I know His voice. And I follow God and I see Him. I know Him. Now I believe I receive my healing. I believe I receive my healing. I believe I receive my healing. Stop! <laughs> believe Him! And you end up being well. Symptoms don't hang around. And who in the world cares anyhow? If Jesus said you can cut your hand off and it's better to go to heaven with one hand than it is to go to hell with two, what do you think he's trying to say? Your body doesn't stay, you know, isn't on the top of the list of importance. It's the very bottom of the list of importance. It's your spirit connecting to God which is important. Huh? The number one reason why Jesus wants your body healed, this is my opinion, but I believe I can support it. The number one reason why He wants your body healed is so you don't have to pay attention to it. Because you spend, this world causes you to literally look at your body all day long, pay attention to it all day long, until every moment that you're paying attention to your body, you're not paying attention to Jesus. Every moment you're trying to get something to, for God to do in your body, you're actually saying to the Lord Jesus, you don't believe He did something. 
The more you just hang out with Jesus, the more fun you have fellowshipping with him, how in the world would there be anything wrong with your body? Come on, if right now the lights went out. All the lights went out. Let's just say there's 18 lights here. 18 sections. Would we get 18 people, each of us, with a ladder and go up into this or remove this little covering right here and check the lights? Or would you go to the source and make sure that the breaker's on? And work your way back to the lights. Because they were all on a moment ago. Why are they off? Because we got to go to the lights? No, you go to the source of the electricity. If your electricity is on, don't you think everything about your body is going to be just perfect and your day is going to be absolutely hunky-dory? This is where we need to put our attention and our focus. It should be the easiest thing we've ever done in our life. Because it's just walking in this wonderful relationship. Enjoying the presence of God. Oh, brother, I don't feel the presence of God. See, you're just miserable. You're just defiant. You just want to go ahead and just be a flesh person and argue. When if you could see it like God sees it, he's all over you. Christ in, in you, the hope of glory. I don't feel the presence of God. I don't ever hear his voice. Well, get saved for crying out loud and stop making a liar out of Jesus. That's rather harsh. Well, that's exactly the kind of harshness that's necessary to jerk people out of this flesh realm where we're living day to day based on what we feel instead of creating feelings from what we believe. I'm glad Jesus didn't go by what he felt. Huh? Because he wouldn't have gone to the cross. He was bleeding in the garden because he didn't want to do it. That's right. Amen. Well, glad you still made it and you got through all that. <laughs> Hallelujah. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. See, it helps us right here, and then we're going to go to some other thoughts. It says, consequently, from now on, we estimate or regard, or the King James says, we judge no one from a purely human point of view. Well, if we're not judging them from a human point of view, what are we judging them from? Well, when he says, consequently, from now on, what he's talking about, the moment you come into Christ, you cease to be human like we've known humanity to be. All right, let's just break this down. When God made Adam, when did Adam recognize that he had a flesh and bone body? After he sinned. So where was his consciousness, his thought patterns? In other words, what did he see and think of himself before he sinned? He's living out of his spirit, connected wholly to God, so much so that God's just as real spirit to spirit as we see each other flesh to flesh. Right? When he sinned, everything changed. He went from being connected out of his spirit to God to being connected out of his flesh to the world. And all of a sudden, he's feeling a little bit naked. Because he was. He didn't have his covering on, his glory. Paul talks about that over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He said, I'm growing within myself not to be unclothed or to be naked physically, but to be further clothed with my habitation which is from above. 
that my mortality, the flesh, might be swallowed up in the sea of immortality. In other words, dunk me in the glory, let me come up so even my flesh permeates with God's glory. He said, that's where I want to live. Why? Because the flesh is supposed to wear the glory. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory. In other words, when you sin, you lose the glory. So what did Jesus do? He became sinless, went to the cross, put the glory down, took our sin, came out of the grave with the glory as the Lord of glory, that he might bring many sons in the glory, so that the great mystery of the church is Christ in you, the experience of the glory, hope of the glory, so that we can what? Be clothed in the glory, participate in the glory. Then you're almost always better looking in Christ than you are out of Christ. The devil knows the glory is really important. Because when he was in the glory, he actually had a position. When he got out of the glory, it was a bad day. It's a real bad day. And that's the reason why when he saw Adam and Eve in the garden and he saw the glory that was upon him, what he wanted to do is take away the glory off of them just like he got rid of the glory off himself. And he was real good at doing it. So he brought deception and got them to question God so that they choose something other than God. So consequently, from now on, see, the moment you come into the glory, you've got to see yourself through the glory. You've got to see yourself out of your spirit, connected to God. Uh, the day of you judging things after the flesh. In other words, judgment means to have a verdict or an opinion or come to a conclusion. The day of you say, well, I, I don't feel really good. I guess I can't go do such and such. That's a conclusion. That's a verdict. That's an opinion. Stop it. That's in the flesh. You is not your flesh. You is the spirit. You have a car, right? Are you a car? No, sir. But you have a car. That's right. Do you drive it or you let the car drive you? I drive it. Is that a pretty good thing? Yeah. yeah. Turn it around, would it be pretty bad if you're at the top of a hill? Had to make a little hair point turn, 90 degree turn at the bottom of the hill, and you let the car drive you? Pretty yeah. bad, right? Yes, sir. How long did that take? 15 seconds? To do what? To show you that you're not a body, but you have a body. Yeah. You're a spirit. Does your body drive you? Or do you drive your body? Because just as much as you letting the car drive you is dangerous, you letting your body drive you is dangerous. Making choices and decisions, making opinions, coming to verdicts and conclusions of your flesh is very dangerous. Because once you go to the flesh, of the flesh you'll reap corruption, Paul said. But when you sow to the spirit of the spirit, you reap everlasting life, which is what? Glory, grace, Holy Spirit, power, anointing. That's what we were made to walk in. We weren't made to live life without God's power. You ought to feel like your backpack's on your back, but you didn't pack it. It's too light. Something's wrong. Taking a bath with your socks on is just not right. Why? Because I'm not walking in the glory. <clears throat> I ought to be covered up in that stuff, that residue. God everywhere. Grace everywhere. How did Jesus do that? Unto all righteousness. See, these are some of the misconceptions that we don't hear enough about in church. We throw around terminology. Man, I grew up, you know, in a Baptist church. We had all kinds of terminology. In fact, we loved terminology because it made you feel like you've been to church. <laughs> do you know what I'm talking about? In other words, we never used those kind of terminologies anywhere else. So as long as they were used in a church, it kind of made you feel spiritual. 
And then you almost felt like you could one-up almost everybody that wasn't in church because you could say things like redemption, the redeemed of the Lord, that Jesus is the propitiation of my sin. He's the what? That's a big word, brother. You need to come to church to find out what that means. I've been justified through Jesus Christ. What's justified mean? It means declared righteous. What's declared righteous mean? I'll tell you what, it means something. Because we really don't know what it means. We just like the terminology because it actually reeks of what? Religion. Makes you feel like you've been somewhere to hear the preacher talk in a low voice. I'll just, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, by his grace and his power. Makes you feel real important. If prayers don't work, that's not the point whether they work. It just sounds good. And if you spin in that kind of atmosphere for very long, what does it do? It trains you to learn how to successfully fail. You'd freak out if it worked. I see that all the time. Oh my God, it worked! Well, I guess you weren't believing anything. <laughs> Happens all the time. Had one lady come up, ringing in the ear. She said, it's not just a little bit. My ears are ringing and have been for years. It's horrible. And I looked at her and I said, really? She said, oh yeah, really. I said, are you sure about that? She said, what do you mean? I said, are you sure they're ringing? And she went like this, which was a, a look to say, I'm checking to see if they're ringing. And all of a sudden, she went, oh, oh, oh. well, she wasn't believing too much. Huh? Shocked her that it what? Worked. You say, why did it work? Because she did that look, the dog look. She did that look, which was, I don't know, let me check. Which means she's open. Because at the same time someone's open, you'll get somebody else say, are you sure that it's there? Oh yeah, I'm sure that it's there. Really? You're sure that it's there? Oh yeah, it's there right now. In fact, it hurts worse right now talking to you. See, they're just eat up with it. Eat up with it. They're so in tune with their body and their pain and their sickness, they can't see anything else. Their car's driving them and they're smashing into everything that they see. Don't have a front bumper any long, back bumpers off. The electrical system doesn't work. The muffler's been dragging for years. All tires are flat. Just bumping into everything. And just going to tell you exactly with conviction. Oh yeah, I'm hurting, baby. I'm hurting worse right now than I've ever hurt before. With conviction. And you want to tell them if you could give one ounce of that conviction that you give your body to Jesus Christ, it would instantaneously disappear. Well, I know what I know. I know, and you'll always know it too. Good for you. How's that working? See, I shouldn't eat before service. No. That's what happens. A little bit too much energy right now. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Praise God. I'm going to put some music on here, a little jazz, amen, just kind of cool things out a little bit, you know, amen. <laughs> hmm. Says, consequently, from now on, we estimate and regard no one from a purely human point of view in terms of natural standards of value, even though we once did estimate Christ from a human point of view. What, is, what do you mean by that? 
Well, remember what John said over in that epistle of John? He said, we saw him, we heard him, we handled him, we touched him, the word of life that was manifested unto us. And in him we found such joy, we want our joy to become yours. What's he saying? We were there. We saw him. We heard him speak. We touched him. We were reclined by the table with him at the Last Supper. We were right there, shoulder to shoulder. See, we once did esteem him that way, but now that he's gone, what did he say? It's going to be to your advantage. You'll even get to know me more. How can you know him more if your flesh was in touch? Because you're not flesh. Just because your flesh could reach out and touch Jesus is not a better indicator than your spirit man knowing him spirit to spirit. That's who you are. Okay, let me ask you a question right now. People that have gone on to be with the Lord, that got there before us, they're blessed. They are. The sadness that we have at mom in moments of thinking about someone that's gone on. My dad went on to be with the Lord four years ago, but you know, for about three years of those last three years, he was really suffering in his physical body and, and we couldn't get him over into a healing. I mean, God sustained him long enough to keep him with us, but there was a part of me that just couldn't wait for him to go see Jesus. Not that I didn't want to see him, I just didn't want him to suffer. Well, he doesn't have his body yet because the scriptures declare those that have already gone with the Lord will come down and get their body and then be... So if he don't have his body, what's he walking around in up there? Is he just a little wisp of wind? Hi, Bill. Or is he actually a person? He's a real person. I mean, when Moses said to God, hey, God, I want to see your glory. God said, well, you can't because I'm just a little wisp of wind on a pedestal. <laughs> no, what did he say? All right, Moses, but you just can't see my face. Well, if he got his face, he's got a head. That's right. He said, I'm going to walk before you. If he's going to walk before you, he's got feet, he's got legs. He said, I'm going to let you see my back parts, but you can't see my front parts. Well, he's got back parts, and he's got front parts. He's going to put my hand over you. If he's got a hand, he's got an arm. And if he sits on a throne, will you figure that one out? <laughs> what do you mean? Well, the flesh is a representation of your spirit. But it's not your spirit. It's not the real you. It's just the body you use while you're enjoying Jesus down here. That's why if your body's not sick, you don't have to pay attention to it. You can just go on and enjoy Jesus all day long without any interruptions. Brother Hagin used to say, I've gone sometimes as it were five to seven years without knowing I had a body. Oh my God, that must be the work of a prophet. No, all he's trying to say is for five to seven years there's absolutely not one thing wrong with his body that would ever pull on him to say, give me some attention. Yeah. Thank you for your enthusiasm. I know you're thinking about that, but doesn't that sound wonderful? Yes. Well, how does someone like Kenneth E. Hagin have that happen? Very simply, he's walking spiritually connected. Do you think if you had a little touch of God today, that if you got another touch of God tomorrow, like a mathematical problem, if about 14 days went by and each day there was a touch, don't you think you could add all those up to be a lot further along in the spiritual knowledge and comprehension and understanding than you were 14 days earlier? Right. See, this is one of the things I have to overcome, folks. One of my clicks away from God, and it's the main click, 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 away from Him, is a routine and a habit that I've developed over many, 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 many years, which is light switch on. Oh, make sure you turn those lights off. Light switch off. 
That's why BJ said to me one day, he said, well, if I gave you a, a, the world's greatest flashlight and gave you a lifetime supply of batteries, would you keep it on forever? I said, well, I'd want to conserve some energy. You have a lifetime supply of batteries. <laughs> wouldn't you keep it on? Well, I wouldn't want the light. You have a lifetime supply of batteries. He's trying to get the point across. Keep it on. Why would you ever keep it, turn it off? Why would you ever digress tomorrow when you already put some progression in today? Why wouldn't you take another step and another step? Come on. The bride doesn't get to the groom by taking one step and then two steps back. That's right. That's right. Come on. It's a dun ta da dun ta dun ta da dun ta dun ta Hurry up and get me down there. When I was watching Erin coming down with arm an arm with her dad, I'm glad she didn't stop in the middle. Go marry somebody else. Leave me hanging. You know what I mean? When someone reaches out your hand like this and the person turns like this, and you, just... <laughs> you know what I mean? Leave you hanging. Go to do one of these and the person... <laughs> That's what we do with Jesus all the time. Leave him hanging. Can you hear the guys talking? Man, we had an amazing time with them. I wonder if we're going to have an amazing time today. Oh, I can't wait to... Oh, they just... They just... Okay. Yeah, it's sad. I mean, all my Baptist life for 23 years, I didn't know you could have an experience. And if you had one, surely it was a devil. <laughs> so you didn't want to pursue it. Pursue it. So I got over into, you know, things traveling with the uh, Raymond Singers and Band, traveling with Brother Hagen. My first meeting was in Washington, D.C. Oh, there's probably about 1,600 people in attendance. Maybe 2,000. And Brother Hagen, the anointing that was on him, as you grow in the anointing, you get used to it. But other people think it's really strong. Well, I hadn't been around anointing like that. So I'm up there singing, and he would move close to you sometimes like this. Because he's a, he's a stinker, you know, and he'd just do stuff just to do it. And all of a sudden, you start feeling that anointing, and you just start to be hopping around like this, thinking, oh, my gosh, what, what is that? And he'd move a little bit closer, and you'd start to just feel the anointing like this, you know, and you wouldn't know what you're doing. And, and then he'd move back like this, and you'd feel okay. And then he moved back and just kind of, he'd mess with you all the time. <laughs> Enjoying himself at our expense. And one time he got so close, I just took off because, see, you know, 23 years deprived from dancing or running in the Holy Ghost and, and not having any experiences, I found myself, after some type of conniption and fit, I found myself underneath the piano behind a bunch of these, you know, fake flowers and stuff. And I'm laughing my head off. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm starting to feel kind of like what my friends look like when they would snort glue out of a bag. <laughs> wow, man, cool. Because, you know, I grew up in the hippie days, you know, and, and all those guys doing all that stuff, and I was a good little Baptist boy, you know, and, and uh, never did anything like that, so I didn't know what it was like. So all of a sudden, I'm starting to feel lightheaded, laughing uncontrollably, and I'm thinking, maybe this is... Getting high in the Holy Ghost, you know. Maybe this is kind of getting drunk in the Spirit. That's what I'm thinking to myself. And so I'm laughing even harder the more I'm thinking of it. Having my own little time <laughs> under the piano. Because everybody else, once I danced, everybody else took off dancing too. Even Brother Hagen took off dancing. The whole place platform took off dancing. And I'm under the piano having my little time laughing in my little Baptist way. Kind of Baptist I'm kind of crossing over right then. 
having a little bit of an experience with Jesus. Praise the Lord. And right in the moment, right in the middle of it, all of a sudden, someone slaps me on my back pretty hard. Whack! Shocked me, and I turned around, and right in my face is Ray Jean Wilson, one of the singers, one of the leaders of the group. He gets down on my face and says, get out of the spirit. Well, that made me laugh. <laughs> I started laughing. He says, no, Jimmy, get out of the spirit. I said, why do I want to do that? He said, because you're going to... Brother Hagen's getting ready, or Dad, because Dad's getting ready to do a healing line, and you're going to have to catch everybody. And all of a sudden, for a second, it made me even laugh to think about going, oh, sorry, oh, sorry, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, 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 <laughs> sorry. <laughs> you know, I thought to myself, that would be really bad, you know, if I didn't care, and I was laughing, and a, <laughs> how'd you enjoy that, Woo. So I thought, okay, and then I looked at him and I said, so what do I got to do? He said, go to the bathroom, do jumping jacks, and throw water in your face. So like a nincompoop, I'm in the bathroom. <laughs> and all these, all these guys are coming in the bathroom. And here I am doing, laughing while I'm doing jumping jacks and throwing water on my face. Are you kidding me? Like, an, like okay. And then I went out and caught 2,000 people. So guess what I learned? I learned how to get out. Better than I learned how to what? Get in. And I perfected the art of what? Getting out. That's why when BJ, my friend, he went home for the first time, meaning he just pretty much left his body and went and saw Jesus. And I thought he was sleeping. So I went over and smacked him and said, hey, wake up, because everybody was gone. <laughs> he comes back and his eyes are this big. Ah, ah, ah. I said, you were with God, weren't you? He said, yeah, yeah, it's not good, it's not good. Of course, that bothered me, so I quoted him a verse. Because we religious folks, we don't have the experiences, we just got verses. Chapter and verse. And we can quote it in three different translations. I said, no, James 1.17 says, every good and every perfect thing cometh from the Father above, in whom there's no variables, neither shadow of turning. Now, do you see the irony of that? I'm quoting the verse, he's having the experience. That's what religion does to you. And it makes you feel special because you know the chapter and verse. So, freaked out, he said, what do I do? Well, you're talking to the king of getting out. I know what to do. I kind of tried to tailor make it to him. I said, go watch yourself a western, get yourself something to eat and go to bed. He's a cowboy, you know. So you sure that'll work? Thumbs up, it'll work. Next morning, 8.30 in the morning, I called him. I said, how'd you do last night? Well, he's a smart aleck. Four earned PhDs, read 5,000 words per minute, 97% retention. I already told you that. He's a genius. So he's about 1,000 miles ahead of you. So he just went ahead, replied, didn't lick, miss a lick. He just replied and said, I did great, just like you said. Went ahead and made a couple grilled cheese sandwiches, watched a little gun smoke, went to bed. Then he paused for a second, and in his way of doing it, I'll try to do it in a kosher way. He said, what the heck do you think I did? I said, I don't know. What'd you do? He goes, well, I went back. To which I said, you could go back? And to him, because he hadn't heard that he couldn't, he said, if I went and spent time with my Heavenly Father, why couldn't I go see him again? 
I said, how'd you do that? He said, well, for two and a half hours, he said, I sat there in silence thinking about what you said and how it made me feel and my thoughts and my emotions, the intent of my heart, the intent of my heart and what I said to him and how I said it and why I said it and how I felt when I said it. I said, you did that for two and a half hours? He said, yeah, I did. I said, then what happened after two and a half? He said, after two and a half hours of doing that, I realized, why am I, th why am I not there right now? Why would I spin my wheels another second? And just like that, I was there again. I said, how long did you stay this time? He said, I stayed three, uh, three and a half hours until they kicked me out. I said, they kicked you out? He said, well, that's what you feel like. You're there and you, you're, you're enjoying them. And the next thing you know, you're back in your body and you're looking at this world. He said, I looked up and I yelled at him. I said, what in the world did you do that for? Why would I want to be back in this body? Why can't I just stay with you? Very interesting, huh? It's out of the mouths of babes and sucklings. He has revealed strength. In other words, all of us religious folk, you see, we got it all figured out, yet we don't have the experience. So you get somebody that's just raw, that doesn't know anything, and figures it out a whole lot better than we do, experiences God, and then we want to go ahead and put all kinds of tags on it and say he's seeing familiar spirits. See, that's what all my friends want to say. He's full of familiar spirits. I'm thinking, if they're familiar spirits, I'm going to keep those for a little bit longer because they're really helping me. Huh? It's like Brother Hagin one time had somebody come to him and said, I think you got a, a demon of flashy clothes. He said, well, if, there's, if that's a demon, I'm going to hold on to him because I like the way he does what he does. And he went ahead and walked off. How can people say stuff like that? They say stuff like that because they're not having the experience with God, so they have to discredit somebody who is. And if he's not wearing a three-piece suit with 50 years in the ministry, then of course he's not, right? He's off into, into the ditch. Wow, praise the Lord. I don't believe all this is coming out. But it is. Is everybody doing okay with it? Yes. Amen. Anybody need a potty break? <laughs> Amen. Get the popcorn out. Break out the treats. Are you all doing okay? That's the reason why it goes on to say, therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a brand new creature. Paul's trying to help us realize the line has been drawn in the sand. And whether you know it or not, when you accepted Christ, you stepped over into another world. Yes. And like being on an island, the old world is gone forever and the bridge being Christ is no longer there. Now he's in you. Yes. You can't get back. And if you can't get back, even though you long to get back, but you can't get back. You may even want to try to jump, but it's too far. You can't get back. Sooner or later, you have to turn around and say, all right, this is my new world. It's time for me to figure out what's in it. Sadly speaking, though, in the church world today, people are getting all kinds of awards for straddling both. Hey, I'm getting down farther than I've ever got down before. It's amazing. I'm able to touch two worlds better than I've ever touched them before. You're not supposed to touch two. Let go of the one and enjoy the blessings of Christ. Yeah. Hebrews chapter 10. And while you're getting there, I'm going to just quote to you what I did last night in Job. Listen to what Job said. 
I mean, his friends are telling him, curse God and die. Nice friends, you know. His wife's telling him to curse God and die. Job says over here in the fifth verse, far be it from me that I should say that you're right, talking to one of his buddies, till I die. I will not put away my integrity from me. My righteousness I hold fast. I will not let it go. My heart shall not reproach me as long as I live. Say what you want. Do what you want. In this present state, I am not about to be moved. I'm sticking with Jesus. Come on, think about Jonah in the, well, in the belly of a whale. Smelling like a fish. Looking like a fish. In the belly of all that acidic acid of that whale, I'm sure it was not a happy place. And what did he do? He lifted up his hands in thanksgiving and he said, in, 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 if I were to regard my present state, I will forsake the mercy of God. So I lift up holy hands in thanksgiving that he is my God. Look at what he did. He turned his back on something that he's in the midst of that none of us can even comprehend and said, this is not my reality. God is. And the moment that he changed his focus and his reality, God spoke to the fish and the fish spit him up on dry land. Anybody here in this word, you look at it, you find even those Old Testament saints, they were not the righteousness of God in Christ, but they did righteousness and God put it on their account as credit. We are the righteousness of God in Christ, but are we doing righteousness? People would say that, that are in the grace message, they would say, and I'm not against it, but they would say things like, well, now you're getting them back in works. Listen, brainhead, I had to tell one guy, I'm, I'm taught, he's, he's, he's written books on it. And I, I've been invited to a breakfast. And I'm sitting there at a table. And, and in the last 30 seconds, he said, the finished work of Jesus, all about the finished work of Jesus, all about the finished work of Jesus. This is just about the finished work. Got to keep people in the finished work of Jesus. I got so tired of hearing that phrase that I said to him, it is about the finished work of Jesus. That's the start. But now what are you going to do? He said, my brother, don't get them back into works. We're working to get them out. I said, but you have to help them to make choices. It's something that we human beings have just been given the right to do. Made in the image and likeness of God. From the moment you wake up and you choose to get out of bed, you will make thousands of choices before noontime. And the greatest majority of them, you will have no clue you made. Do you know people have perfected the art of making it to the kitchen? while they're sleeping their eyes and turning on the coffee and making it back to their bedroom. And look at how many choices they made and they weren't even aware of them. Habit, routine. Their way of doing things. Well, if we're making choices all day long, then you ask yourself, are these choices facilitating, enhancing and beautifying a relationship? Ask yourself that question with a spouse. Are your choices on a regular basis enhancing and beautifying and protecting a relationship? Right? I mean, I've been in the ministry over 25 years and I could, I, could, I could have all kinds of adulterous affairs all over this country. But I've never even been approached. I kind of feel a little lumpy about it. 
all my friends got these great stories, you know, these women showing up, you know, nothing underneath a house coat and saying the Lord sent me here, naked as jaybirds, you know, to their home. No one's ever showed up. No one's even ever winked at me. No one's even ever smiled at me. Well, of course it's good. I'm just kind of playing with the whole idea that maybe it's because I don't have it in me and sending off the signals to say come and show up in a house coat. Why? I'm making choices to protect my relationship with my wife, but I can't just stay there to protect it because then it's not growing. I've got to make choices to enhance the relationship with my wife. Protect it and move it forward. Protect it and move it forward. Are we doing those things with Christ? So someone says, it's all about the finished work of Jesus. Don't get them back into it. Not get them back into works. I'm helping to make them conscious of their choices so that they can get themselves out of the way, let God be real in their lives, and begin to experience the wonderful blessings of the finished work of Jesus. It's good, isn't it? So... I look at some of these thoughts here. Look at Job. and I can look at Abraham. See some of the things he did. It says over in verse 15. It says, And Abraham believed in, trusted in, relied on, and remained steadfast to the Lord, and considered it, and counted it unto him as righteousness. Right standing with God. Well, look at what it says he did. He believed in him. What does that mean? Today it means, oh, I'm believing. Well, how's that working? I'm believing God. But nothing's changing for years. Why? There's no connection in the heart. Believing God is spinning in circles while you're waiting for God to do something for most people. Believing in God for Abram was what? It says, he trusted in, relied on, remained steadfast to the Lord. In other words, he was all in. Yeah. Yeah. See, A.W. Tozer said, faith is where you put yourself on purpose in a position where you can't go back. Come on, if I'm this close to the lifeline, I can always grab it if I have to. Huh? Well, it's like those people in the midst of a hot summer, and they've got a beautiful pool of cool water that would refresh them. And yet they go to the shallow end and take one little step in like this and splash a little bit on their legs and dink around their body, get a little bit on their arms, and then sort of slowly, it takes them 10 minutes to get in. And even when they get into their waist and the little kids in the pool, they say, don't splash. They get up on their tippy toes because they don't want to. That's torture. Why not just get in? For the few seconds that you commit yourself, it'll all be over and you'll be really glad that you're refreshed. Right? Jump in. This is what we do with God. We just dink around this thing instead of getting in. That's what real faith is. It's not trying this. It's not trying this. It's jumping into a place where you can't jump back. It's too late, baby. You're in. So it's either God or you're going under. I always ruined every party I ever went to as a teenager. Because the moment I showed up, I'd pick somebody out and go tell them about Jesus Christ, that he loves you and he wants to come into your heart. And the moment I said that, I couldn't date those kind of girls that everybody else did. I couldn't drink anything. I had to just be boring and go home and be filled with satisfaction that none of them had, which was God was living in my heart. Everywhere I went, I did it. To every, every girl I dated, I did it. Ruined a lot of nice, beautiful relationships, but I didn't mess up. 
Why? Got myself out there where I couldn't go back. A real good principle to learn. That's what God calls righteous. Not saying, man, I believe on the righteousness of God in Christ. I believe on the righteousness of God in Christ. I believe on the righteousness of God. There's no dog in the hunt, you little sissy. Huh? Come on, put your big boy pants on and get out there. Well, I believe on the righteousness of God in Christ. I believe on the right. Get out there. Well, what happens if it doesn't work? You don't believe nothing then. I'm in Iowa, and this guy's standing in front of me, and I say, so what do you need? Wonderful power of God's working on all kinds of things. What do you need? He said, well, I just wanted to tell you that I believe Jesus Christ is my healer, and I know I'm healed. I said, that's actually a great testimony. Thanks for coming up. And I went to the next person. And he's still standing there, and his mouth's hanging open. So I looked back at him, and I said, why are you still here? As I'm getting ready to lay hands on this lady. Why are you still here? He said, well, I just wanted to let you know that I believe I received my healing, and Jesus is my healing, and I believe that I'm healed. I said, that's a testimony. That's what that is. I said, and I'm thankful to have a testimony in a healing line. That's great. You can go be seated. And I went to the next person like this, and then he's still standing there with his mouth hanging over. And I looked back and I said, why are you still here? Didn't you hear me say you can go be seated? He said, yeah, but... Um, and I went back and I said, what? You're going to tell me you still have symptoms in your body? He said, well, yeah. I said, well, then I can't pray for you until you stop lying to me. Yeah. And he just kind of looked like this. And he goes, you know, you're right, aren't you? I said, yeah, you don't believe a thing. He goes, I don't, do I? I said, no. I said, but all sins are forgiven. So in just a heartbeat like that, you can change. He said, well, then I do. Why wouldn't I receive my healing right now? I said, there's no reason not to. Barely touched him. Power got hit him. He received instantly. Amen. Oh, my God. I can't believe how mean. That pastor literally was, was, was messing his pants. Because there are multiple things like that. He's over there, and you can just see him going... How am I going to tell the regional rep? Oh my God, what am I going to say? <laughs> he had to call me up before the next service. I said, Jim, can we just talk a little bit? I said, sure, we can talk a little bit. What do you got a problem with? Well, with what you said here and what you said there and what you did here and what you did there. I said, so what's your problem? Very interesting, right? Amen. Praise the Lord. All right. <laughs> Come on over to Hebrews chapter 10. I'll give you this and then we'll be done. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. Paul's saying some things here to some of these guys that are struggling. They're wavering back and forth. And look at what he says. Remember those early days after you first saw the light? Those were the hard times. Kicked around in public, targets of every kind of abuse. Some days it was you, other days it was your friends. If some friends went to prison, you stuck by them. If some, enemy, if some enemies broke in and seized your goods, you let them go with a smile, knowing they couldn't touch your real treasure. See, we've got a real treasure in these earthen vessels, right? Nothing they did bothered you. Nothing set you back. So don't throw it all away now. You were sure of yourselves then. It's still a sure thing. 
But you need to stick it out, staying with God's plan so you'll be there for the promised completion. It won't be long now. He's on the way. He'll show up most any time. The next verse is really good. But anyone who is right with me thrives on loyal trust. All in. All in. Come on, what does it say? Loyal trust. Now listen to this. 2 Chronicles 16.9 For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal. It's the same thing. He's looking for what? Loyal trust. He's looking for, look, I'm all in. Come on, I told you last night, didn't I? About, about the uh, roller coaster. I don't do roller coasters. My, my girls got me to go on a roller coaster and the little one said, while I was holding on to it with a death grip, said, Daddy, you got to let go. I said, why would I do that? She said, because it's so much better if you have your hands in the air. I said, I don't think I really want to do that. Oh, Daddy, you have to let go. It's so much better with your hands in the air. And we're all the way at the top at that point, so I had to make a decision. I said, okay, here we go. Ah, and it wasn't better. It wasn't better. It wasn't better. It wasn't better. But I kept them up in the air. And all of a sudden, I, made, I realized that when, when the Lord said through Paul, lift up holy hands without wrath and doubt, and I realized what I'm saying is, look at Dad, I don't have any hands on anything but you. I'm not holding on. I'm not holding on. Just you. And when the Lord sees someone like that, what does he do? Whammo! To do what? Show himself like a little breeze with a little, wi- with a little, <laughs> a little leaf just fluttering in the wind. Or like two nights ago when the sirens went off in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. My wife woke up to find out that there was a tornado that wasn't very far that hit down. And removed some things. He wants to show himself what? Strong. You need some stuff removed? Then get all in. There's something about someone that's all in. You don't sit there and balk at anything that's going around about you because nothing matters when you're all in with Jesus. So guess what Paul did next? He wrote the Heroes of Faith chapter for these people that were struggling to let them see what it looks like when you're all in. A couple of thoughts that look like this. The fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. The act of faith is what distinguished our ancestors, set them above the crowd. By faith, see, this is righteousness. It's all righteousness. We see the world called into existence by God's word, what we see created by what we don't see. By an act of faith, Abel brought a better sacrifice to God than Cain. It was what he believed, not what he brought, that made the difference. That's what God noticed and approved as righteous. Why was Abel righteous? It wasn't that he brought the, the, the lambs. It was that he brought the lambs as the first of what he had to give God the best that he had. It was the meaning and the feeling. It's called intent of his heart. It was the intention that God said, that's righteous. Why wasn't Cain's righteous? He brought some of the the produce of the ground because he brought it in the process of time. In other words, he brought it because he felt like he had to because Abel brought it. And when he got around to it, then he brought it. What does that say about his intent? It's deceptive. It's not clean. It's not pure. And God couldn't accept it. It's not that he liked the sheeps over the, the vegetables. 
was that he approved of the heart versus the heart. Come on, do you let your child, when you say do this, they say, okay, I'll do that. Do you not wipe that off their face? <laughs> One way or another? Yes. My oldest, when she turned 13, all of a sudden that whole day it was like this. Okay, oh, all right, okay, I'll do that. And I let it go on for a whole day on her birthday. Went to her room. I said, baby, can we talk just a little bit? I said, I'm going to make some faces. See if any of them you recognize. Yeah, right. And I did all these faces. I said, does any of that seem like maybe you recognize it? She goes, well, well, yeah, a little. I said, did you maybe feel some of that today? She said, yeah. I said, you know what that is? She said, no. I said, that's rebellion. Do you know it's my job to get rid of rebellion? <laughs> and I said, I want you to mark this down. If you don't do something about it, you can bet you I will. Are we clear? Yeah, Daddy, we're clear. And you know what? Allie is just exactly what her middle name is. Nothing but joy. We'd share things to her that you would just think she'd just cop an attitude and run the opposite way with all kinds of complaining and just sit there and, and you know, and have a rebellion in her heart. And we'd, I mean, something that was just, no, you're not going to do this, da 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 And she just, I mean, within about five seconds of going, <sighs> she'd go, oh, okay, it's fine. Are you doing okay? Oh, doing great. And she was. She handled it. Well, praise the Lord. You get over into some of these things and you don't know necessarily what to say, what not to say. But I do have to just share the next couple of verses and we'll stop. That's what God noticed and approved as righteous after all these centuries. That belief continues to catch our notice. By an act of faith, Enoch skipped death completely. They looked all over and couldn't find him because God had taken him. We know on the basis of reliable testimony that before he was taken, he pleased God. You know, Enoch walked with God for 300 years. At 365 years of age, he decided he'd find God. I mean, you know, I mean, better late than never, right? But 365 years of having a pattern one way, Enoch decided to step out here and say, I know you're there, and I'm not giving up until I find you. And when I find you, I believe you'll reward me. That's called what? Intent. That means you don't sleep. That means you don't eat. That means you don't do anything until you find him. See, I've got a little taste of that with my, with my cowboy friend. I'm not exalting him at all. It's just he's so different from us Christians. And that's what not modern religion has done to us. It's made us weak. It's made us babies. We have no resolve. It's gone. We just are part of the group. And we love singing the songs. I'm sorry, okay? But I've got I to gotta say what's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. So why does somebody like that cowboy find God like he finds? Because it's the way he does life. He's always believed, I'm only as good as my last horse, as a horseman. So he would always take the hardest cases. 
And this one particular horse, nobody, he had multiple trainers that would try to work with it. Nobody could train it. So BJ took the horse. After three days, the horse was 100% perfect. And they said, it's a miracle. What did you do? And he said, well, just let me ask you what you did first. Well, I worked with it for three weeks, two hours a day, every single day. He said, don't you realize what you taught the horse? Well, I was trying to teach the horse the right thing. He said, well, you didn't. You succeeded in teaching the horse the wrong thing. What do you mean? You taught the horse that if that, if that horse would put up with this idiot for two, two, day, two hours a day, that it could do whatever it wants to. That's what you taught the horse. Well, how did you fix the horse in three days? I brought my bedroll and I slept in the corral. When the horse was up, I was up. When the horse slept, I slept. And I stayed with it for three days and would have stayed there for four or five or whatever it took until the horse was right. That's intent. Oh, I tried it and don't work. Well, see, you're not all in. Because it does work. Cancers do die. Don't you realize? Let's just have horse sense for a second. Where are you going to get disease? In a hospital. You know that, don't you? There's all kinds of disease in the hospital. You want to go someplace and walk out with all kinds of stuff? Go to a hospital. You want to go somewhere and not have to worry about any disease or sickness at all? Go to a cemetery. Everything's dead. Why? Because disease and illness needs you. Cancers are going to die anyhow. They're on their way to die. Why would we be committed to a cancer that's dying yeah. just because it looks like it's winning? Yeah. Why wouldn't we be committed to something that's living and something that's dying? If we just would figure these things out, we've let religion make babies of us and we just accept everything. Us Christians believe so much in sickness and disease, all you got to do is go home and look at your medicine cabinet and you're well prepared for the day that you don't feel good. Which tells you what? You're actually using your imagination for something that hasn't happened yet. Why don't you use your imagination for the glory of God that's on you right now, in you right now, working through your body? I've got the life of God in me. Oh, really? I've got the life of God in me. I've got His life, His nature, and His ability. I've got the life of God in me. Spring up, oh well, within my soul. Spring up, oh well, and make me whole, right? Well, we sing songs about this stuff, but we hardly ever connect the dots that there really is something alive in us. I just got connected with somebody from Indiana University. And we'll see what comes out of it. But what most likely looks like it's going to come out of it is the opportunity to experiment with science with the anointing. I've always kind of wanted to do that. Prove that the anointing of God, the Holy Spirit, is alkaline. And get on camera, get on tape, Get on, you know, all kinds of ultrasounds. Watch my putting my hand on somebody and watching and tracing the anointing coming out and going into an organ and healing it and dissolving something that shouldn't be there and bringing about a complete healed organ. We're going to tape this stuff. If it works out, I'll be a part of it. If it doesn't, somebody else, well, that's very fine. But the point is, is to bring to an age that has to see it in order to believe it, the idea that this stuff is real. 
I'm in a service. I've already prayed for the sick. I'm sitting on the front row. The pastor's taking up an offering. Can you believe it? My hands were still hot while somebody was taking up an offering. I mean, I don't even know how that works. Come on, I'm being sarcastic. <laughs> and I said to the Lord, is there somebody that I missed? And my hands were burning. I can feel that, that heat in my hands right now. I said, is there somebody that I missed? He said, no, nobody that you missed. I said, well, then I'm going to experiment with this. He said, that's fine. And I looked across the room, and the, and, and the room was bigger than two of these rooms, okay? Wide. And I looked way over there, and I saw this little boy. He must have been about eight or nine years of age, and I just went like this to him. And he finally looked at me like this. And he goes, me? And I said, yeah, you. Come here. Me? And I said, come here. And then he tiptoes over like this all the way to the front. Pastor's up there taking up the office. He says, what do you want? And I said, I'm all alone sitting here by myself. I said, would you sit with me just for a few seconds? I said, I, I'm, I, I won't bite. He said, oh, okay, I'll do that. Well, before he came, that anointing was in my hand. And I put my hand on the seat and I said, Lord, I released this anointing. The moment I said that, it went into the seat. Well, how do you know? Because it wasn't in my hand anymore. My hand turned normal. I had a little red spot right in the middle where that power was. I put it into the seat. You say, wow, that's something. No, I wanted to prove it. I could say that and you'd have to try to believe me. But I got proof. I got that little boy to come over. He said, okay, I'll sit next to you. I said, sit right here. <laughs> right where I put my hand. He sat down right on where I put my hand. And I just crossed my leg, went like this, started looking at the pastor. Wasn't even paying attention to him. And about 10 seconds into it, I started hearing these sounds. <laughs> I looked at her and said, what are you doing? He goes, I, I, I don't know. I said, why are you doing? He goes, because I'm really hot. I said, would you like to go back to your mom and dad? He goes, yes. And he took off running. Well, what happened? That heat that came out of my hands went into that chair. What happened? When he sat on it, it went into him. That power is transferable. That anointing is transferable. We've got to help prove it to people so that they can get all the way in. What is faith? A.W. Tozer said, putting yourself on purpose in a position where you can't go back. Get yourself so far out there. The Lord told me to do something financially. You know what I told him? I said, I know it's you. So this is how we're going to do it. I wasn't being a smart aleck. I'm just telling him how it is. Because I know if I do what he asked me to do financially, and I did it just a little bit like he wanted me to do, then if I got into trouble, I would work myself to the bone to save my family and do all I could to make up for any loss by doing something that didn't work. I know myself. I'd book up every weekend. I'd book up every Wednesday, and I wouldn't be there with my daughters. And I'm telling you, i got to be there with my daughters because there's all kinds of boys that like them. <laughs> Beat the boys off. Somebody in West Virginia. I went to this church where 70% of the people were packing. Even the ladies were packing. They all had revolvers. I mean, that'd be the bad church for somebody to come in and say, I'm holding you up. The whole place. Everybody. Before I walked out of there, I had a brand new Winchester, shotgun, sawed-off shotgun, home invasion, pull the trigger, pull the door open, and everything else that comes with it. Hey, man, I'm well prepared for all these boys. No, I, I, I knew if it was just barely going to work, I would get myself involved. So guess what I told the Lord? I said, Lord, here's the deal. I'm going to do what you told me to do, but I'm going to do it so big that it's either going to bankrupt us and we'll have absolutely nothing or you're going to rescue us and prove that what you just asked me to do is God. And I did. 
And I'm watching God fend for our lives. The first two years this happened, while I was walking in some situations that I'd never been in before, I could even, I, I understand if somebody's freaked out about life and they just sit there in a stare, blank stare. I had multiple days I stared at the wall in disbelief that I was in a position and situation where people were calling me, acting like I was a criminal and I was wrong. And here I stepped out to believe God. It took me a while to get over that. But I've been walking in such peace and I'm watching God put all the pieces together and do something that no person could do. And when you hear the end of the story, you're not going to want to do what I did. I'll guarantee you. But it's my own personal way of doing it. Put yourself in a position where you can't go back where it's got to be God. Because if it's not God, you're going under. And be willing to go under. If you can't be wrong, you can't be right. If you can't lose something, you can't have something. And if you can't die, then you can't live. Well, that's enough for one night. Why don't you bow your heads for a second. Father, we thank you for what you're saying to us. You're teaching us and training us and helping us. Whoo, glory. Amen. No sense having this wonderful anointing working in my hand without laying hands on some folks. So if there's disease in your life right now, we'll just thank the Lord that all disease and sickness will die by just mentioning the wonderful name of Jesus. We don't have to be religious about it. In Jesus' name, we just thank you, Father God. All you got to do is just have a heart full of conviction that by just speaking that wonderful name, all demons tremble, hell itself is erupted. Because the name of Jesus is the power of God into salvation. To everyone who believes, to even the Greek and the Jew. We thank you, Father God, for what you're doing tonight in our hearts. And I pray that you would grant unto everyone in this room a spirit of wisdom and revelation. So that they can experience you. Open up their eyes, the eyes of their understanding, so that they can see how to apply this. To become more absolute. To put themselves in a position where it's just God and God alone. And Father, I thank you for showing up, for backing us up, for always being faithful, Lord God. Your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Father, if you're for us, who in the world could be against us? All these wonderful scriptures that reveal to us, Lord, that you will never let us down. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, thank you so much. Hallelujah. Well, if you've had difficulty in your intestines, you come on up. I'll minister to you first. Anybody in here? Come on up. Praise the Lord. Just come on up right over here and put your hands on your own belly. Amen. I'm just going to tap your hands, okay? It won't hurt you, and I won't even touch your belly. Amen. Just tap your hands. But when I do God's wonderful glory and power, come into your belly. Amen. And cause whatever it is that's been uh, causing some type of eruption or something that's wrong. It'll cause, well, there it is. Right. Jesus' name. I command that to disappear. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Well, that'll be it there. She can eat whatever she wants. Amen. Either she's worse or she's better. What do you think? Well, that's right. She can eat whatever she wants. She's perfect. What do you need? You don't need anything? Come on up here and let God touch you. Would you do that? I'm going to have to hit you too. I got that anointing working. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Put your hands out and I'm going to grab your hands. Father, thank you for this dear woman. and Let your wonderful presence, well, thank you, Father, that's going into her right now.
just to let her know how much she's loved and appreciated. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Wow. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, God's good. And you know that he's good. And you can leave this place, praise the Lord, praising the Lord all the way home. And why not just let Jesus from this day forward be so real to you? It's like there's an unseen one. And you already know that. But let's just step it up a notch that you hear his footsteps. You hear the sound of his voice as clear as you hear the sound of mine. And you feel so warm and fuzzy and comforted because your father's with you. And your elder brother Jesus never leave you, never forsake you. And the Holy Spirit watch out for you. And the grace of God is everywhere. Why? If God be for you, that's what it means. Who in the world could ever be against you? Got a wonderful life ahead. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen. That's wonderful. Thank you for letting me pray for you. Praise the Lord. He'll help you up right there. Reckon you can go eat something? I believe you can. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you like spicy food or what you like, but I had this one girl who prayed for it. She went ahead and took a whole handful of, whole hand, handful of Altoids. One Altoid is enough to take the hair off your tongue. Huh? She took a whole handful and put those in her mouth. One of them would have just made her sick to her stomach because she had some type of hernia, hiatal hernia or whatever. Put a whole handful of those things in. She come with a big old, it just looked like she was, she was spitting tobacco. Big old huge chew like this. She, I mean, an, an hour later, it's, it's down halfway. She said, this is really good. It's not hurting me one bit. I said, you put all those in there? She said, yeah, sure. I just wanted to test it out make sure I was healed. You got to love that. That's intensity. Versus somebody saying, well, thank you for praying for me and going back like you were and sitting there like a bump in a log just right. like you do all the other times, see? Yeah. Is there anybody that's got any type of disease or illness in this room? Because tonight's the last night that you need to have it. Any type of disease or illness. I can feel this hand right here. It's got heat in it. And what is that heat for? Come on up here, dear, dear lady. Put your hands out just like mine are. I'm going to put my hands on top of your hands. Put them out underneath. Flip them over. There you go. Amen. Don't work if you have palms up. Hit palms down. Don't work. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just messing with you. Thank you, Lord. Every disease, germ, bacteria, and virus disappears right now. This anointing is great and powerful. Surcharge your life with Holy Ghost power. Set you Well, that's it right there. Set you free. I'm not worried or concerned. Don't you be either. Because Jesus just healed you. That's it. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Wow. What make you think you still have a problem? Is there anything that this world could do to make you think you still have a problem? Or is it possible Jesus just healed you, set you free 100%? Wouldn't that be nice? It is beautiful, isn't it? Thank you for believing. That's what it looks like. That's what righteousness looks like. That's what it looks like. All you got to do is see just a couple instances of it, and all of a sudden, just kind of make you a little bit happy. This is what this looks like. Yeah, it's not supposed to be hard. It's supposed to be simple. Well, I believe you got your fill tonight. Amen. Go home and digest some of this. Come back tomorrow and let's believe God for one of those run around the room, shout and dance in the Holy Ghost services. Amen. Amen. If it doesn't happen, it's your fault. <laughs> <laughs> it's all <almost> so. <laughs>
<laughs> I'm just messing with you. Thanks so much for coming and listening. And uh, just open up your heart. Keep it wide open. Amen? Amen. God wants to do wonderful things in you. Pastor, if you'd come. How'd y'all like that? Amen. Amen. Brother, we just, we want to thank you, and we appreciate you, and um, we need to have a talk afterward. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> so, no, no talks. You know, it, um, when you're talking about really making changes in people's lives, you got to have guts. You got to have some guts to step out, you know, uh, as a pastor, I got to have guts that I'll be able to handle, you know, I know that Jim is bringing reality, you're right, well, that's going to put some pressure on some flesh, yeah. right, and then you're going to have to deal with it, and then that means I got to deal with it, and that's okay, that's a good thing. And you got to have some guts to go through that. And you got to have some guts to make a change. You know, I know in just ministry over the last uh, couple of years, what the Lord has challenged me with, it's going against what status quo says the church should be and look like. And, and you got to have guts. Well, I'm not the only one that has to have guts. You do. You have to have guts to be the believer that you say that you are. You got to have guts to make those changes. You got to have guts to say, man, you know what? This is not working. So let me change. Let me do the thing that will work. Either, either do it right, just like what Jim's you know, sitting up here saying. You know, I, he's kind of saying, golly, I don't want to be hard on you, but at the same time, I can't tell you a lie. I've got to tell you the truth because if you're going to be a believer and you're going to be in righteousness and making those choices, then you've got to step up to the place where you say, look, this is the truth. I'm standing for it and I'm trusting God in it. And the question is, is that you? Is that you? Will you trust him? Let, <clears throat> let's turn to, uh, that really is unrelated to this, I think. First uh, Corinthians 13, 3, everybody Got, a, I believe, a handout and a love offering envelope. And I, I've been in a lot of different services where they take up offerings and they just, you know, now they make you feel guilty because you've heard something. And, uh, you know, make you feel guilty if you don't give anything. That's not what this is about. We've been studying a whole lot about love recently. And love comes down to this. And I'll just give it to you real quickly. Love is a choice. You have to make a choice. Love is a commitment. Jesus made a choice to come to the earth. He was committed in the garden. You see that he didn't want to go to the cross, but his father did. He was committed all the way to death. It was unconditional giving because he gave his son, not when we did everything right, not when we were pleasing to God, but in Romans 5 it shows that we were all messed up. We were at our worst when he gave Jesus. So love is a choice, a commitment to unconditional giving. And there's one more part. And right here, you see this. It says, 1 Corinthians 13, 3. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. 
So here's one thing. This is one thing I always like showing people in their giving is you can make a choice to give. You can make a commitment even to the point where you've given everything, right? And you can give in unconditional giving and yet still not be in love. And if you're not in love, how much does it profit you? So my job as a shepherd is to say this. I'm not looking for you just to give and not profit by it. I want you to profit by it. Like what we read last night in Philippians 4. I want your account to be added to. In order to do that, you've got to give in love. And here's the last part of love. Agape love is a choice, a commitment to unconditional giving at the leading of God. You've got to hear from him. How many times did Jesus say, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments? That means you've got to have heard his commandments. And so, right now, we're talking about a connection. You have a connection to the Father, and he can tell you exactly what you're supposed to give today and tonight. Because we are not, as a people and believers, supposed to leave a man that has poured out himself to us and studied to show himself approved and worked for the work of the gospel to leave him and not give to him. In 1 Corinthians 9, it says it very clearly that if I give to you spiritually, uh, then you should give something materially. So as believers, this is the will of God. So now the question is, Lord, what would you have us to give? I don't want you to give simply because you feel an emotional pull to give. I want you to give because you sought God. Lord, what would you have me to give to Jim tonight? Anything that's going to in the offering is not coming to us. is all going to go to him. But here's the thing. Right now, you have a connection. I mentioned to Jim one time, I said, you know, I'm just really struggling in some relationship. You know, just connecting with God. And this is the question. He said, who's to say that you're not in fellowship right now? Why are you struggling to get in it? Man, that really, it, it just, I was, praise God. Amen, you know. Here's the question. You might not be feeling God right now, but who's to say that you're not in it? If you're a believer, you're in fellowship with him right now. So let's close our eyes, apply faith towards that fellowship, faith towards that connection, and let's just say, Lord, what would you have me to give? I want to give in love tonight. I want to give as a part of my worship to you, honoring you through Jim. I would just want to honor you, Father. What would that be? And whatever that amount is, be it big, be it nothing, whatever that amount is, I just ask you to do this. Be obedient tonight. So whatever you have, you can make uh, checks out to Boomerang Church. I think it says it on here somewhere. But you just put it in that envelope, be obedient to God. It'll all go to Jim, and you put it in that box back there on the wall as you go out. And so, Lord, right now, we just ask for that. We praise you for it. We thank you for that. Lord, thank you for opportunity not only to be fed in the word and to receive your love through a message, but Lord, thank you for opportunity to give your love through giving. Father, we praise you, we worship you, and we honor you tonight in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank y'all so much for being here. Uh, we will be here again tomorrow night is our last night. I imagine it'll be awesome. We'll be here at 7 p.m. And if you need anything, let us know. And we're, we just, again, appreciate you being here. Have a great night.